Good morning to you all, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin this morning, I would like to see a show of hands out there. How many of you struggle with a lack of patience? Okay, then what are some things that tend to test our patience? My patience gets tested any time I have to sit in traffic when I'm trying to get somewhere. Others are tested when they have to wait in a long line to check out at the grocery store. Some other people's patience is tested when they're on hold, right, waiting for a representative to pick up the phone so their question can be answered and they can talk to an actual person. Some people's patience is tested when their pastor asks them too many questions from the pulpit. I hope that that's not you today. I'd like to share with you a story that was told by Paul Harvey. Hopefully most of you know who Paul Harvey was. He said a woman from Hershey, Pennsylvania was waiting patiently in her nice new Mercedes for a parking spot to open up. The shopping mall was very crowded, so this woman in the Mercedes went up and down the rows looking for an open spot, searching for the telltale sign of, of the reverse lights on someone's car who was just backing out and leaving the mall. Well, as she turned into another lane, she spotted a man carrying a load of packages who was heading for his car. So she slowed down, slowly drove up, and parked behind him with her turn signal on and waited while he opened his trunk and loaded it with all of his packages. Finally, he got his car going. He backed out of his space and got on his way. But before the woman in the Mercedes could drive into the parking space, a young man in a shiny new Volkswagen Beetle zipped in from the other direction and pulled into that empty space, got out, and started walking away toward the mall. Well, the woman in the Mercedes rolled down her window and yelled at him, Hey, I've been waiting for that parking spot. Didn't you see my signal? The college-aged young man responded, Sorry, lady. That's how it is when you're young and quick. At that instant, she put her Mercedes into gear, pushed on the accelerator, and drove forward and crushed the rear fender and corner panel of his new canary yellow beetle and knocked it into a pole. Now the young man is jumping up and down. He's shouting, Lady, are you crazy? You can't do that. And the lady in the Mercedes said, Well, that's how it is when you're old and rich. If you've ever had someone do something similar to you like that, you might have a tendency to cheer for this lady. But quite frankly, the godly virtue of patience was greatly lacking in both the lady and the young man. We often laugh at our impatient tirades. But the truth is, godly patience is what keeps us grounded and strong in our faith. And this is what James begins with in his next section of his letter that we've been looking at for quite a few weeks now. So I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 5. And I invite you to please follow along as I read from God's Word today. This morning I'll be reading James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. O Lord, as we look into your word today, may you guide us through it. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, speak through me and prepare our hearts to hear your word today. And as always, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the context of this letter, James is exhorting the believers that he's writing to to be patient when life seems unfair, when others take advantage of you, when things don't go the way you may want them to. In the previous verses that we looked at two weeks ago, James was warning those who were rich to use their wealth correctly, uh, to not take advantage of those who didn't have all the blessings that they did. Uh, they were to be fair in their business dealings and always give those who worked for them what their deeds deserved. And we learned in that passage that we are called to be good stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with, no matter what may be going on in our lives. And James is writing here to people who were going through difficulties and trials in their lives, and it reminds them to be patient while they wait. And what was it that they were waiting for? They were waiting for the Lord's return. Be patient, my brothers, until the Lord comes. The first century church felt very strongly that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. This is why the Apostle Paul had to comfort the church in 1 Thessalonians 4, because some believers had already passed on, and Jesus hadn't come back yet. They were wondering what had happened or what would happen to those who had already died before Jesus came back as he had promised. And well, here we are as believers living in the year 2023, and we are still waiting for the Lord's return. And hopefully, we are waiting patiently as well. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to wait patiently or to live patiently when we live in the fast-paced world of the 21st century. Our modern technology has only added to our tendency to be impatient. We have movies and TV shows on demand now that we can watch on any number of different devices any time we want to watch them. How many of you remember back to the days before cable TV, before the internet, when we had to actually wait a week uh, to find out who shot JR or if Gilligan and his peeps ever got off the island? If we wanted to watch something, we had to wait. We had to wait until it came on at one time during the week, and that's the only time that it was available. We have cell phones now, and actually not only cell phones, but smartphones. Smartphones that we can use to make a call anytime and from anywhere we wish. We're no longer tied to a phone on the wall in our house by a six-foot cord. 
And our phones are way more than just phones, aren't they? In fact, many people don't even use the phone app <coughs> excuse me, on their phones. No, they prefer to text everyone their information or simply send it on Snapchat or some other instant app. We have access to high-speed internet, not just at home and our computers, but on our cells as well. We can have information, any information that we desire, at the tip of our fingers, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long. Even when it comes to cooking at home, we've somehow lost our ability to be patient. We have microwave ovens that cook meals in a matter of minutes, sometimes even seconds. Why should we wait for a meal to cook for hours in the oven when it can be ready for us in just a few minutes in the microwave? I mean, granted, the microwave is a pretty convenient invention. But how many of you are like me and find yourself standing in front of that microwave waiting for the last kernels of corn to pop in your bag before you can take it out, right? We want our popcorn and we want it now. I remember growing up and actually making popcorn on the stove. This was before even the air poppers came out. I had to measure out a specific amount of oil and put it in the kettle. I then put in about five kernels of corn as the oil heated up and I waited for those kernels to pop. This told me that the oil was hot enough. I then added a pre-measured amount of kernels into the oil. I covered the pot and I shook it over the heat until all the kernels had popped. Now this was a time-consuming operation that wasn't possible to accomplish in just the time uh, that it took to air the commercials. But when dad wanted popcorn, well, I was sent in to make popcorn. But now we just put in a bag, we hit a button, and a couple of minutes later, we have our popcorn. Usually with a few more unpopped kernels left in the bag than I had when I made it on the stove. It's hard sometimes to be patient, isn't it? But James tells us to be patient, to endure, to, to persevere until the Lord comes back for his own. Many people have used a certain phrase through the years, and that phrase is, good things come to those who wait. And this is especially true for those who are waiting patiently for the Lord's return. <coughs> the biggest blessing any of us will ever receive is the reward that awaits all who have received forgiveness and salvation through faith in Jesus. And we won't be with the Lord for a split second before we realize that everything that we've gone through here, the suffering, the pain, the heartache of living in a fallen world, that it was all worth the wait. Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 8, he said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So James tells us to wait patiently for the return of Christ. And then he gives us the example of the farmer. And he says that the farmer waits patiently for the land to yield its valuable crop. That he waits patiently for the autumn and spring rains to come that will water and nourish the crops and help them to grow and produce. Now we know that too much rain can cause the crops to rot or make it difficult to harvest and too little rain can cause the crops to dry out and not produce what's expected of them. 
The farmer actually has no control over the rain. He can't make it come, and he can't make it stop once it's started. And farming in first century Palestine was much different than farming here today in the United States. Here, with our modern technology, farmers aren't as dependent on the rain because, well, we can set up sprinklers and irrigation systems to keep the crops watered. And while they may have had some crude irrigation systems back then, most farmers were still dependent on the rains to help their crops grow. And there were basically two rainy seasons in Palestine. There was the fall season and the spring season. So much of the grain was planted in the fall, and then it matured in the late days of spring when those rains came. The rain in the fall allowed the seed to germinate, and the spring rains allowed the new plants to grow. Most farmers today couldn't imagine having to wait on and depend upon two main rainy seasons a year to be able to bring their crops in. Back then, the farmers had to trust that God would send the rains when and where they were needed, so they waited patiently for the Lord to provide. But waiting patiently doesn't mean that they simply sat back and did nothing. No, the farmer worked all year long. They first prepared the ground for the seed to be sowed. And once the seed was planted, well, then they tended to their fields. They watched out for weeds or insects. They, they pruned and fertilized as, as they, they watched their crops begin to grow. And once the crops were growing, well, then they began to prepare for the harvest. But they waited patiently. They waited patiently for the rains that the Lord would provide to them. And then here in verse 8, James repeats his previous message when he says, You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He's telling them that just as the farmers are patient in waiting for the rains to come, so they need to be patient as well as they wait for the Lord to come again. And we are called to patiently wait for the Lord to come back for us as well. We don't know when it will be, but we should always be watching and ready for him to come, for him to come and take us out of this world of suffering and pain and fear and take us to the place that he has prepared for us that he told us about in John 14. And as we're waiting, and as the church back then was waiting, James gave them another word about how they are to live while they wait. He told them, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Sometimes when we're suffering, when we're going through hard times, it's easy for us to grumble or to lash out at others simply because of the pressure or stress that we're feeling. Now, I'm not saying that it's right or it's okay to do that, but it's part of our natural inclination while we're living here in this fallen world. And I think that James is telling us here that grumbling is a telltale sign that we are not practicing patience in our lives, that we are not patiently waiting in faith for the Lord's return. See, God considers grumbling or complaining to be sinful because it shows that we are not really trusting him for whatever situation we might be in. Our impatience is an indication that we don't really trust that God is going to care for us, that he's going to provide what is ultimately the best for us. 
I'm reminded of the Israelites as they were traveling in the wilderness, and they didn't feel they were getting what they deserved. In Exodus chapter 16, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron because of their supposed lack of food. And they said it would have been better for them to have just stayed in Egypt because, well, at least they had food there every day. Then in Numbers 14, they all grumbled against Moses and Aaron again as they were preparing to enter the promised land. This time they were grumbling and saying that it would have been better for them to just die in Egypt than to die in this new land by the sword and have their wives and their children taken as plunder. They were afraid of the people in the land. In both of these instances, they were grumbling because they were not putting their trust in the Lord. The Lord had led them this far, yet they still didn't trust that he would provide or that he had their best interest at heart. But what do we see in each instance? In Exodus, the Lord provided manna for them each morning, quail in the evening, so they all had enough food to eat. In Numbers, sadly, in the following accounts, we see that the Lord didn't allow that generation of Israel to enter the promised land because of their grumbling and their lack of trust in him. But what do we see in the book of Joshua? When they do enter the promised land, the Lord goes ahead of them and he provides them victory after victory after victory as he does exactly what he said he would do for them. But sadly, as James tells us, the judge was standing at the door. And their grumbling and their lack of faith before had meant that one whole generation did not get to see the Lord's deliverance and provision for his people in the promised land. And then just as James used the example of the farmer waiting patiently for those rains to come, he then uses the prophets as an example for the people of God to follow. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, what do we know about some of the prophets of old? Well, they were God's chosen mouthpiece to his people. And although God used them to spread his word to Israel and Judah, they were not exempt from suffering. The prophet Ezekiel's wife died on the day right before he was to deliver an important message. The prophet Daniel, this young Jewish man, godly man, was taken into a foreign country as a captive. The prophet Hosea, well, he had a wife who was unfaithful. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because the people were so angry at his message to turn from their sin that they literally beat him up. He found himself being banned from attending God's house. He was placed in the stocks. He was kept in chains. He was imprisoned in a dungeon. Other prophets were, were put to death because of their ministry. Think about names like Elijah and Amos, um, Micaiah and Zechariah, Hanani and Uriah, all prophets of God who suffered because of their steadfast trust in the Lord and in delivering his word to his people. So James says, just as those prophets were patient in the face of their suffering, you too should follow their example and live a life of patience as well, trusting that the Lord always has your best interest at heart. He encourages us to persevere through our suffering and to wait 
upon the Lord. He says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And then he uses the example of Job from the Old Testament to make his point. Again, what do we know about Job? Well, Job was considered a righteous man in the sight of God. In fact, the Lord described him as blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. Oh, see, but Satan approached God and he said, well, of course he fears you. You've placed this hedge of protection around him. You've blessed the work of his hands. You've blessed him in everything that he has and in everything that he does. But Satan said, stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. So the Lord allowed Satan to do as he wished with Job, but he was not to touch the man himself. And in one day's time, Job lost all of his children, his servants, his livestock, all that he had was taken from him. Do you remember Job's reply? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, then Satan struck Job's body, and Job was covered with sores from the top of his head all the way down to his toes. He even had some, some supposed friends come alongside of him and offer him some words of comfort and encouragement. Words like, you know, Job, none of this would have happened if you hadn't sinned against the Lord. Oh, what encouragement they received, they gave him. Job's wife even tells him to simply curse God and die. But despite all of the tragedy that's come upon him, in spite of all the accusations against him, Job remains faithful to the Lord, and he perseveres through all of his suffering. And we see at the end of the book that Job sees God's deliverance after his patient waiting. The Lord honors Job and gives him twice as much as he had had before. James talks about the Lord's compassion and mercy, not only to Job, but in the context of the whole letter to all who will remain faithful to him through their sufferings. These are the same words that the Lord himself used to describe himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord came down in that passage and stood with Moses in the cloud. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. James is telling us that in the midst of all of our sufferings and trials, that we shouldn't grumble, we shouldn't complain, but that we should be patient and persevere because God, in his mercy and grace, has been patient with us. God has been patient with us, as Peter tells us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to faith through repentance and forgiveness. So in the same way, then, we are called to be patient as we wait for the Lord's deliverance when he comes back for us again. James moves on here and ends this, this part of his letter by talking about not swearing next. And, and in this context, he's not talking about using curse words or profanity, although we should always be aware of the words that come out of our mouths. What James is referring to here is making oaths, 
trying to add weight to our words by swearing to God or to heaven or to anything else. We've probably all, all heard someone at some time say something like, Oh, I swear to you, God, I will never do that again. Or, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles that I wasn't there when that happened. Or, I'll swear on my mother's grave that I didn't say that. Right? We've heard that. James says that we're not to use our words flippantly or to swear by anything, but to just let our yes be yes and our no be no. Did you realize that James here is actually echoing the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? See, Jesus had said this. He said, I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. He said, simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Do you think that maybe James heard his brother talk about this once or twice as they were growing up, or maybe after Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection? And the message, that message stuck with James, didn't it? So both Jesus and James are telling us that if you say you're going to do something, then do it. Speak the truth. Be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. And when someone hears you give your word, your yes or your no, then stand by your word, and then those around you will know that you can be trusted by what you say. He's also warning against impatiently making hasty promises to help us somehow ease our suffering. Right? Oh, oh God, if you will just make her well, I promise I'll read my Bible every day. Oh, Lord, if you will just help me get out of debt, I promise I'll start tithing to the church right away. I swear I'll do it. Or, or God, if you'll help me get this job, I swear I'll start going back to church again. No, James is saying, I know you're suffering, but don't try to ease your hurt by making hasty promises that you might not keep. Just give yourself to the Lord. Give your situations to the Lord and wait patiently on him. So whatever difficulty you're dealing with right now, he says, don't grumble about it. Don't blame others for it. Don't make hasty promises. But give it to the Lord and wait patiently for his deliverance. Trusting once again that he always wants what is best for you according to his perfect will. Be patient, my brothers, until the Lord's coming. Wait patiently on the Lord. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many examples you give us in your word of, of people who were patient, people who persevered through their sufferings, Lord. Examples that you gave us so that we could follow, so that, so that we could see and understand that we are called to wait patiently for you as well. Your word says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, that they'll mount up with wings as eagles, that they'll run and not grow weary, that they'll walk and not be faint. And Lord, as the little chorus that goes along with that song says, we pray, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. Teach me, Lord, to wait 
for your deliverance, for your coming for us. Lord, help us to be patient, to persevere while we live in this sinful and fallen world, but to always remember that you alone are God, you alone have our best interests at heart, and we are called to wait patiently for you. Thank you for your deliverance of us that you have promised us in your word. For it is in your name that I pray. Amen.